Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. If you're joining us today and haven't been here in some time, we're in the middle of a little series called From Eternity to Eternity, How God Claims and Keeps You. In a sense, we're just teasing out the phrase that you often hear, God loves you. You ever hear that phrase? God loves you. We, we say that a lot. It's on stickers and shirts and books about it. God loves you. But really, exactly how and when did that start? And the Bible wants to expand your understanding of the love of God for you, that it, from all eternity God determined to bring you into relationship with Jesus Christ. And in space and time in your own existential reality, he called you to Jesus. And then he saved you, adopted you, sanctified you, etc. So right now, this morning, we're looking at the doctrine of calling. Effectual calling. And you'll notice the text, how that phrase comes up in verse 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Have you ever been asked, why are you a Christian? I love that question. I love to answer that question. And if you think about it, you can answer that question from at least five different perspectives. And it's on the outline if this helps you follow. It's just a brief way to get the discussion going. For example, you can answer the question, why are you a Christian from an environmental point of view? I was born in America into a church-going home. By definition, that gave me a greater opportunity to be exposed to Jesus Christ than most of the world. Environmentally, I'm a Christian because I was brought up near the gospel. <laughs> Secondly, you could answer the question this way. Why are you a Christian? Well, practically and functionally, Christianity works. It helps me. It makes me a better and more humble person. In Christianity, I find real power to change my life. You could answer the question, I'm a Christian, because of the way it functions in my life. Thirdly, why are you a Christian? You could answer it philosophically. I'm a Christian because it's true. I can't refute the facts of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ utterly unique in the history of the world. I personally find the Christian worldview to be the only worldview that makes sense to me and that comports with reality. I'm a Christian because philosophically, it's true. We don't check our brains at the coat rack on the way in. 
Why are you a Christian? Philosophically, it's true. Uh, fourth, you could answer the question from an instrumental point of view. Why are you a Christian? Well, at a in certain time in, in my life, I believe the gospel. God made a promise, and I believe that promise was true. I leaned on Christ. There was an invitation, and I accepted. I'm a Christian because of, because of something I did instrumentally. And fifth, why are you a Christian? You can answer that question theologically. I'm a Christian because God determined I'd be one, and His sovereign grace, He wooed me to myself. That's why I'm a Christian. God did it. You could put it this way. You're a Christian because God planted a desire in your heart that you then found absolutely satisfied in Jesus Christ and Him alone. You are irresistibly drawn to Jesus, that's why, theologically speaking, you're a Christian. And really, that's the one we've been looking at the last two weeks. What is the doctrine of election last week? What it's not? And now, Paul says, he says in verse 14, it was for this, he called you through our gospel. The antecedent to this, I think, is salvation. He called you through our gospel. So we're looking, really teasing out more theologically the answer to the question, why are you a Christian? Well, God made me a Christian. You could put it this way. That when God speaks the word, that word is, now this is one of these fancy theological words, the word when God calls you to himself is performative. It does what it's intended to do. It's like the gun at a race. When the gun goes off, the runners start. The gun is performative. It does what it's designed to do. It gets the runners in motion. When God calls you to himself, that word is performative. It accomplishes the work God wants it to do, and that is to bring you into a lively relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. All we can say is, what love, what power. Wow. But actually, I want to say more about it than that. Let's look at three questions. Number one, what is calling? First thing we need to see is the Bible distinguishes actually between two senses of calling, what's called the general call of God and the effectual call of God. Let's compare those two. The general call of God. The Bible's clear that in at least three ways, God is calling to all of his creatures to come to himself, to know him, to be saved by him. So I've teased out Three uh, specific ways God does that. First, he does so in general revelation to uh, call us to honor him. And this is from Romans 1. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you see the progression here? 
God reveals himself clearly in creation. Very clearly. It is plain. Every human being comes to know God, knows there is a God through creation. We, we know God. Paul says, no excuses. No one's going to stand before God and say, I had no idea. Nope. The creation is screaming the attributes of God. But we take that knowledge and we suppress it in unrighteousness and refuse to honor him. And in that disposition, we become futile in our speculation. That's where all the wrong world religions come from. Futilely speculating about God because of the suppression of the true God in our hearts. And on the strength of that, the wrath of God is revealed against it. And it should be. It's actually one of the most important verses in all of the Bible to understand the dynamic of the human heart in its natural state. The point is, creation calling all of God's creatures to honor him. We know him by virtue of creation. Secondly, God calls us in the law written on our hearts to obey him from Romans 2. Paul Paul knows that it's the Jewish people that were entrusted with the written law of God, the Ten Commandments. What about everybody else? He says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, they don't have access to the written law of God as it were, at least in Paul's time as a rule, when they by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the law of God is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So God has written on the heart of every human being his law. It testifies to their conscience. And by virtue of conscience, God is calling his creatures to know him. That's the general call of God. And there's also the general call of God in the preaching of the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached, that's part of the general call of God. Think of Jesus saying in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Every missionary that's ever gone forth in the history of the world, from the beginning of the church on, every missionary on the strength of that has called sinners to Jesus. A very sincere, free offer of salvation in Jesus. Come to me. Jesus is calling all of his creatures to come to me. That's the promise of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that's the general call, whosoever believes, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I had Charles this morning read from Paul's address on Mars Hill, among which he says, that's also a brilliant text, Paul says there, God, here's the exact words, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere must repent. This is the general call of God. So if you've never heard of God, you consider yourself an atheist, you've been a part, God is declaring that you must repent. The old-timey theologians used to say there is a warrant out for everyone's faith and repentance. So this question is arising in your mind. Given those three calls, creation, conscience, and the gospel, why doesn't everybody respond? Is that a fair question? Why doesn't everybody respond? I think it's a good question. The reason is there is a resisting mechanism in our hearts naturally at working in us to keep God away. It's as if when God calls, you have a mute button to that call, and when he calls through creation, you mute it so that you can see the glory of a created order and not conclude God is screaming at you that he exists. 
when God calls through conscience. We have atheist or agnostic friends who, who can tell you what right and wrong is, who understand principles of justice and those kinds of things. When God is calling their conscience through that, they put their finger on the mute button. You've been in situations where the gospel was preached and the gospel had no effect on the person sitting next to you. They had their finger on the mute button. So real live example, I, years ago I was in India, Calcutta, and we did open air preaching. Every person that was listening to the gospel preached, what did we know about them? God was calling them through creation, they had the mute button on. God was calling them through conscience, they had the mute button on. God was calling them through the gospel proclaimed, the mute button was on until the word of God became performative in them. And that's, that's, that's the point. The general call will never be answered by sinners until God changes them. If you want evidence, look at the New Testament. Jesus says in John 5, you are unwilling to come to me that you might be saved. Now he was speaking at the moment to a people group on earth that you would have to call the most religious. No one on earth at the time had more access to the true God than his audience. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They could see the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. No one had more access to God than those people. And he says, you are unwilling to come to me. Same thing uh, Stephen says at his martyrdom. The audience that is uh, stoning Stephen are, are, humanly speaking, the most religious people on earth. They have access to true religion, the Jewish religion. And he says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. He's just identifying this natural mechanism in us that wants to mute God when he calls through conscience, creation, and the gospel. And do you know that about yourself, that the, that the resisting mechanism still persists in your own heart? Do you know that about you? I mean, how else do you explain why you don't love God more? <laughs> why you don't love people more? Why you're more, not more generous? Why you're not more spontaneous in your praise? Why, why you're not more grateful? Why do, how do you explain giving in to sin? In my case, I'm allowing the mute button to come on. And I'd have to say that my sins are worse than the sins of unbelievers. I know better. Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's saying, get your finger off the mute button. So beloved, this, if that's a little heavy to hear, the good news is God is more powerful than our mute buttons. This doctrine is that God is pleased to exercise his power over your resistance to him. So when God chooses to move, chooses to move on a dead heart and bring it to life, he's, it's going to happen. Isn't that great? You might say, but what if I want that and he hasn't chosen me? Oh, no, if you want it, you call on his name, he will save you right now. Jesus is right now saying, come to me. Don't get your finger off the mute button. Jesus will save you this instant. Just call on his name. So whatever this doctrine means, it does, not, it does not mean if you want to be saved, there's some reason you can't be. So now we're ready to see the effectual call of God. That call, remember the, the situation, me preaching in Calcutta? Some of those people responded. God, in his power, 
got the mute button off and they responded to Jesus. In their case, the Spirit created life in them. He changes a person that God has chosen. And it's just like the beginning of the Bible, right? There's nothing and God says, let there be light. Let there be. And those things come into existence. When God looks upon a spiritually dead heart and he says, let there be life, there will be. Such good news. That's why all the glory goes to God for your salvation. All the glory. You have nothing to boast in. Can't we say that with a smile? Can't we say that with joy and thankfulness and relief and peace and confidence? Yes, we can. Look at the handout for the lengthier definition of effectual calling than you confessed earlier in the worship service. I just think these brothers just captured this magnificently when they wrote, All those whom God has predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone, giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. Your willingness to be saved is a gift of God. Simply marvelous. We don't ever want to get over this. (laughs) We don't ever want to move past it. So think about the variety of circumstances in which this takes place. How many of you would say God effectually drew you through a Christian home, Christian parents? Just a show of hands. A couple here, here. Okay. How many of you did God effectually draw by the influence of friends? A significant person, friends. Okay, Emily, good. How many of you through an organization like Young Life, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, InterVarsity, how many came, heard the gospel through an organization like that? Okay, a few hands up like that. How many of you through the work or the writings of a musician, an actor, an author, an artist, literature like C.S. Lewis? How many of you came, which came to faith through something like that? Okay, some of you. Yeah, we got a few of those. How about your life collapsed and that's the way it got your attention? Anybody bold and humble enough to say that's how you came to faith? No one in this audience, people, no. All right, good, Daniela, hallelujah. Oh, now you're on record, but you don't mind, you raised your hand, right? Yeah. How many of you would say you found it because you're naturally inquisitive, you began to study world religions, and when you got to Christianity, like the light went off? How many would you say that was the case for you? Okay, thank you. There's one there. Anybody else? All right. How many of you came because you were pressured into a conversion? I thought so. They usually don't last. People aren't well converted when they're pressured. You heard somebody preach? How about you receive the love of Jesus from somebody tangibly and you wanted to know why and that brought you to Jesus? Anybody's testimony there? Good, a few of you. Do you know that Muslims come to Jesus because they, he appears to them in dreams sometimes? Whatever it takes. Here's a mystery. Why does it happen when it happens? How many of you were converted past 40 years old, just out of curiosity? Past 40. Okay, Matt. Why, why did the Lord wait so long to regenerate Matt? 
I was, let's just call it 20. Why, why 20? Am I, look, if you had lost family members to the ravaging rage of the Apostle Paul, you'd want to ask God what? Why didn't you convert Paul before he took the lives of my loved ones? This is a mystery. I don't know. What should not be a mystery is that you leave here today with the finger on all three mute buttons. Jesus is calling you to himself today. Don't make that a mystery. Second question, what is the evidence you've been called? Paul says in this phrase, he calls you through the gospel. That's the vehicle. We talk about God ordaining the means and the end. If the end is God saving his elect, the means is he calls them through the gospel. Paul writes uh, for us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The normal way God converts somebody is you hear what? You hear the gospel. You hear about Jesus. The normal way he converts people. And what I've got for you on the outline are at least three. We could probably spend 16 sermons unpacking the answer to this question. Once you're converted, what things have changed in you? What brought about the change? I've just mentioned three here. The first is your estimation of the cross changes from foolishness to a stumbling block to the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.23. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a scandal on. Gentiles, Foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Maybe I can put it this way. Years ago, I, I saw a lady wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry, and I said, oh, what does that mean to you? She said, nothing, I just like it, it's nice jewelry. Let me tell you, when you've been converted, that cross means Everything. You couldn't possibly be indifferent to the suffering of the Son of God on his cross for your sins. That's impossible. What else changes? Blindness turns to sight. Paul says, we preach, and even to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You've been converted when you see Jesus and you say that's the glory of God. The person, his work, and his exalted glory in heaven right now, King of kings, Lord of lords, coming judge. You acknowledge the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He drew you from darkness to light. And then Paul tells the Lord's servant in 2 Timothy 2 that you should with gentleness correct those who are in opposition. Why? Well, if perhaps God may grant repentance, there's sovereign grace. God gives repentance as a gift. Leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from what? The snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. What a sad thing. You know, when human beings have their fingers on the mute button, creation, conscience, the gospel, you know who's sitting on it? The devil. He's sitting on it. Human beings have no power to take their finger off of that. It is only Jesus rescuing us 
from that blindness and then that captivity. And that's why the Bible talks about salvation in the starkest of terms, in terms of deliverance. You fill it in for me. We are, we are delivered out of, dar- out of ourselves into Jesus. We are delivered out of darkness into light. We're delivered out of blindness into, you can say it out loud if you want to, sight. We're delivered out of slavery into freedom, out of a drunken stupor to sober watchfulness. That one might not have been so obvious. Out of ignorance into understanding, knowledge. Out of falsehood to truth. Delivered from sin to live in righteousness. Delivered uh, from guilt and condemnation to forgiveness and peace. From self-worship to true worship of God. From being orphans to Sons and daughters, from death into, say it all together, life. Third question, final question. How does God affect this uh, transformation in us? Paul writes in Romans 2 that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. How? The Holy Spirit is jealous to make known to you Jesus to show you the power and glory of his troll, to show you the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit wants to make known to you Jesus and especially how much he loves you. But until you see your sin clearly, you'll never know how much Jesus loves you. One old-timey theologian, Thomas Watson, put it this way. Till sin be Bitter, Christ will not be sweet. You show me a person for whom Jesus is sweet. Heart-melting, awe-inspiring. You'll show me a person who knows how great a sinner they were when he or she was saved. So the Spirit needs to put the spotlight on two things. Your heart and Jesus. And when the Spirit of God uses the law of God particularly showing you what sin is, it's being satisfied with everything else but God himself, living for yourself irrespective of God's screaming at you through creation, conscience, and the gospel, the Spirit of God brings you to conviction, to an awakening. He leads you to repentance, beloved, because sin is, first of all, an offense to God, that begins to matter to you. Sin blinds you to the glory of God. That's the worst part of it. You were made to see and to bask in the glory of God. Sin eclipses that. That's principally what's wrong with sin. And sin is bad for you. It's bad for others. So it's in light of this Holy Spirit showing you sin. Now you know what true human glory is. True human glory is selfless, not selfish. It's generous, not greedy. It's content, not lusting for what you don't have. Uh, True human glory speaks words of grace, not critical, judgmental, demanding. True human glory trusts in the Father. It's not a spirit of orphanhood trusting ourselves. True human glory is patient. It's not impatient and restless. True human glory is humble. It's not proud and self-exalting, etc., etc., etc. 
But conviction isn't just to change your behavior. It's to change the affection of your heart so the Holy Spirit puts a spotlight on Jesus. Jesus is better than sin. So if it's true that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, is not the reverse true? Repentance leads you to the kindness of God, which is Jesus. Paul says in Titus 3, when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. That's Jesus. Repentance leads us to the kindness of God. Jesus embodied the perfect balance of truth with grace, tenderness with conviction, power with gentleness, self-sacrifice without failure, weakness without fear, strength without bullying, the perfect balance of sovereignty without injustice, mercy without sentimentalism, anger without bitterness, tears without hopelessness, intensity without burnout, brightness without blinding, touch without abrasiveness, zeal without harshness. harshness. That's Jesus. No wonder that desperate, needy people in the Gospels found Jesus to be their all in all. The, the broken found wholeness. The sick experienced healing. Those in darkness saw light. Those in lies perceived the truth. The downcast revived in hope. The shaken found a refuge. The hungry knew satisfaction. Those in chains unleashed into freedom. One of our favorite church fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, wrote in his third theological oration, and thank you for teaching us this dear sister, the beautiful irony of what Jesus suffered and the graces that abound to us. Gregory wrote this. He hungered, but he fed thousands. He thirsted, but he cried, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He was wearied, but he's the rest of them that are weary and heavy laden. He was heavy with sleep, but he walked lightly over the sea. He pays tribute, yet out of a fish, yea, he is king of those who demanded it. Jesus prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he causes tears to cease. He's sold and very cheap, but redeems the world at great price, his own blood. He is the sheep that's led to slaughter, but he's the great shepherd of Israel. As a lamb, as silent, yet he is the word, preached and proclaimed in the world. He was bruised and wounded, yet he heals every disease and every infirmity. He is lifted up and nailed to a tree, but as the tree of life, he restores us. He was given vinegar and drink mingled with gall, but he turned the water into wine. Who ever said he could have done it better? Here's the point. There are two errors in Christianity. Seeing your sin without seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus without seeing your sin. If you see your sin without seeing Jesus, what's the result? You never know how much he loves you. If you see Jesus without seeing your sin, what's the result? Can you see this coming? You never know how much he loves you. (laughs) You experience your sin, and you see a big Jesus, and you know how much he loves you. When you know how much he loves you, you can't stop looking at him. Let's pray. Turn our droopy eyes, Lord Jesus, to yourself by your Spirit. In the light of your glory, we do see our selfishness, our self-promotion, self-absorption, self-protection, self-exaltation. We see our sin in the light of the glory of your humanity and your deity. 
And as we see our sin, we take our look at the cross and we see your great love laying down your life for those sins, making us your treasure, the apple of your eye, your precious possession. Fill our hearts with that love. Without it, we can do nothing. Fill our hearts without love. Without it, we won't know our sin. Fill our hearts without love. Without it, we won't love each other. Fill our hearts without love, and we will keep looking to you, the source of all good, our hope, our life, our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.